we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hello and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And I'm Willow Truman. And in a bit of magical thinking, I wrote in the script, and I can talk, my God, it's so wonderful to be able to speak clearly, sonorously, my Lord Jesus Christ. But I can't talk still. It's, mm. I'm still <laughs> no, it's a little bit better. It's a bit better. But, you know, actually a lot of things are better from the last time we recorded. I was beaten down. I know. It's been... This is good. This has been like our own personal jihad. <laughs> and here we are in the last chapter, and I'm ready for it. This is the first one we haven't had to record twice. <laughs> I'm going to fucking hate myself for um, saying that. I was going to say, knock on wood when you say that. I knocked on my skull. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's made of wood. Yeah, Pinocchio. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the alien menace really didn't want that shit to come out. Here we are. Is this it, though? No, it's it's probably not, realistically. Because, like, there's no way this greasy motherfucker doesn't show up again in oh, our stories. Oh, story never ends. Never. I mean, how many threads from previous stories have been in this one? Right, exactly. And, like, how, we didn't... Everything we cover just, like morphs into each other we also did not cover everything in puhark's lip because there's no fucking way you could no no like we didn't get into any like conspiracy theories about sri and what the psychic program was really up to like the truth about why this motherfucker was in israel you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like and also like yeah i wanted to bring this up last episode but i couldn't for reasons that'll become apparent how many times did i call puhark a greasy fucking bastard in the first episode a lot Right? And Quite a few. How many times did I use the Bubbles voice? None. None. Zero. Not at all. And I was going to rectify that last episode, but I couldn't because I couldn't talk. Oh. It takes you, a lot of air. You still can't. I still can't. I was going to rectify that today, but I can't. Whatever. I have a YouTube video of Bubbles pulled up that I'm going to be using. <laughs> oh, that's just as good. It's not, but if you listen to us, I do do a hell of a Bubbles voice. You really do. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, boy. So last week, we told the story of Andrea Puhark's time in Israel with Uri Geller. We talked about Spectra, the intelligence from this guy, Horace the Hawk, Uri Geller as the baby Jesus. You know, normal stuff. And how much of all that is true? Yeah. <laughs> Don't don't worry about it. But that is what he wrote, and that's what's important. So this week, we're going to be covering the years after that, after 1974, uh, until Buhark's death in 1995. How old is this prick now? 56. He is 56 years old in 1974. Okay. Yeah. And look, if anything, this story should convince you that it's never too late to completely fuck up your life with aliens and psychic powers. Yeah. It's true. He... Well, he was into his 50s when he was bopping around Israel with Harry Geller. You know, I'm so glad I got that out of my system when I was like 22. I haven't yet. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, your psychosis phase is coming. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be my third act, dude. I'm saving it. I'm saving yeah. it all up. That's why I'm like doing cardio and shit. 
Yeah. I stay healthy for when I fucking break crazy. Right. <laughs> for when the alien menace starts speaking for you after I hypnotize you into the doors of your mind. Yeah, fuck it. Sounds fun. Yeah. I'm ready. Well, before we get into the last 20 or so years of Puark's life, let's do what we do. Pull a tarot card. See what it says. Hmm. Eight of Wands. Okay. Swiftness. Mercury yeah. in Sagittarius. Mm-hmm. Extremely positive card. One of like, maybe not extremely, but it's like for something that low down the tree, down the tree of life, like number after six. It's a good one. I mean, in the Thoth deck, you've got these eight arrows all branching out in different directions, overlaid on a diamond. You've got this fucking rainbow over it. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's probably the friendliest looking card in the deck. Mercury and Sagittarius. It's fitting. All right. Wasn't expecting something so fucking friendly. That's right. That's how I'm feeling today. All righty. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine in the Rider Waite Smith deck. I think that imagery is more appropriate, actually. It's the like, it's a bunch of wands flying overhead. Yeah. And they're just traveling. To the right. Is that the one? Yeah, they're just flying through the sky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And it's the nine that has, like, the dude looking up, like looking suspicious at, like, the unexpected help and shit. Um, yeah, the eight is a it's a unique-looking card in, in the Rider Waite Smith, too. It's a card of action, that's for sure. Is that the only card in the Rider Waite Smith with no people? I'm not sure. I think so. It might be, at the very least, it's very few. So that's, that's like, that's always one of those interesting anomalies I like. Seeing with tarot. So the eight of wands speaks to events. Yeah. And like just shit happening very fast. Yeah. Pure energized energy branching out in all these directions. Like things are happening quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, Mercury and Sagittarius. It's old Mercury and he's in the sign of the centaur archer. That dude's got four legs. He can run fast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we'll talk about that in depth at the end of the episode. Yes.
So we find ourselves in the wake of the book Uri, a mystery of the a journal of the mystery of Uri Geller publication, uh, nineteen seventy four. So this detailed all the experiments Puhar conducted with Uri Geller. That's like the part of it that he was expected to be writing for it, mm. but it also included um, Spectra and Rhombus four D. <laughs> Oh, Rhombus 4D. And a lot, of, a lot of allusions to Jesus Christ. A lot of them. Yeah. Especially for, they're both Jewish, no? Puark's not. No, yeah, you're right. He's Roman he's Catholic. He's, yes, 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 yes. We had that whole conversation in the first yes. part. In fact, one might say that book was mostly about Spectra and Jesus and mm -hmm. fucking shit that don't make sense. Psychotic shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when this dude who was kind of known for normalizing parapsychology, like remember Lab 9 was kind of like, oh, these are the real scientists doing the real science stuff with all these fancy gadgets that Puhark's inventing, right? He comes back with his book about Spectra and Rhombus 4D. Uh, <laughs> the general response is, oh, holy shit, that dude's lost his fucking mind, right? Yeah. And people kind of started distancing themselves from Puhark, like, I don't, oh... You you what now? No, I don't. Th I don't think you can have more money. I don't know about <laughs> this time traveling AI stuff. Yeah, for real. These people don't even know how computers work. This is mid nineteen seventies. Then this also should be a big book too, because it's about fucking Uri Geller, who's now performing, you know, outside of Israel and shit, right? Yeah. So even the baby Jesus himself, Uri Geller, distances himself from Puharic and Spectra and all this stuff, like. I mean, all this like science business and all that, all of the trying to quote prove Uri's powers had like only brought the heat down on him in the form of a weird fucking old nerd named James Randi. Mm -hmm. Like Uri never wanted to be a science experiment. He didn't care about proving it. And now not only is James Randi on his ass because the scientist man came down to Israel and insisted even against the will of Spectre that we use some science. Not only that, but the dude who got you involved with that just published a book about you alluding to you might be being the baby Jesus <laughs> and Rhombus 4D. Yeah. I would distance myself as well. Mm -hmm. Smart move. Smart business move. By the way, though, there is a response. I just saw this. A response to James Randi's book about Uri Geller, written by Hal Putoff of SRI, about the experiments they did at SRI. And according to Putoff, um, James Randi got a ton of very basic shit wrong about the time Uri spent at SSRI, or SSRI, at SRI. Um, like a lot, like, like, a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I have to leave it in because we laughed and it's, it's just how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Randy got a bunch of shit wrong about that. Mm -hmm. Just even the fact like claiming that Uri fled the country. No, he was just like down the road. Like, come on. And just the way the experiments were handled, which is all like documented. It's, if you're going to give a scathing takedown of a con man, you should probably like make sure to dot your T's and cross your eyes. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's an interesting thing. You can go look it up. Uh, it's an interesting um, rebuttal. Now, as is usually the case when you tell a story of someone's life, there's a lot of life that gets left out. In Puharik's case, he knew a lot of motherfuckers. One of the folks he knew was another real piece of work named Ira Einhorn. He was an environmental activist, like a a well-known, handsome, charming activist. Sort. He wasn't handsome. He thought he was. Yeah. But he was like, charismatic is better. Yeah. That's the word I was dancing around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, his ass came up with Earth Day, right? Uh, then he 
would later be known for killing his girlfriend, Holly Maddox, and stuffing her body in a suitcase and then running from the law in Europe for like 20 years. Yeah, and saying that, what, the CIA framed him or some... some he, he said some shit. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that, yeah. He became known as the Unicorn Killer. A lazy name because it's just his last name. Einhorn. One horn. So, according to Ira Einhorn, who was one of Puhark's like, good friends up until the publication of Uri, this was the moment when Puhark lost touch with reality. This Israel trip. Now, also, that was in... Uh, that quote was in The Stargate Conspiracy by Lynn Picknett and Clive Prince, which is very interesting. Not, mm, it goes too far. But it is a fun read. Also, though, Ira Einhorn saying that, oh, shit, Puhark went crazy. That's in, like, Jacques Vallée's published journals, too. Mm-hmm. And Jacques Vallée also says, oh, shit, Andrea Puhark's gone fucking crazy. He's having lunch with, like, Jacques Vallée and, like, telling Vallée about how his watch is telling him what the aliens are saying and how it relates to a uh, the Hebrew alphabet and all this shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's the scene, right? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that's who this guy is. That's what he's just known for. So with Geller's departure from his, I don't want to be associated and like growing skepticism surrounding his work and ability, the boy was a bit lost. So what do you do when you're a lost Puhark? You double the fuck down. Soviet mind control waves. Yeah. Okay. After Puhara came back from Israel, he had a lot to say about ELF waves, which we've heard come up time and time again. Extra low frequency. You know, we talked about him with the harp episode. That's why you would need to like use the ionosphere as a big antenna, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like that's that's always the type of electromagnetic radiation that comes up in mind control conspiracy theories, ELF. Mm-hmm. Also how you would talk to submarines and shit, right? Yeah, so for some unholy reason, Puhark became, con- after his adventures in Israel, Puhark became convinced that the Soviets were building ELF generators to try and mind slave the entire world. And God damn it, I mean convinced. To understand this, we got to go back in time and talk about some through lines through Puhark's research that we didn't touch on. So Peter Herkos, big Dutch boy, right? Puhark found that he his brain his brain waves went to eight hertz when he was doing his psychic bit, right? Interesting. Yeah. Also, Meaning- so you know we've talked about brain waves with like the Monroe Institute and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. That, so where does eight hertz fall in the like alpha, beta, delta? So that is right? that's interesting. Is that's the first? It's right where theta switches over to alpha. Okay. At the eight hertz line. The Schumann resonance is seven point like nine three or something. It's right under mm-hmm. eight. Yeah, but it's right at the edge of theta and alpha brain waves. Um. Now, in the mid fifties, Puark was working with a yogi who could apparently consciously manipulate his own brain waves. The yogi could shift his consciousness from alpha to theta, just like flipping a switch. It was this discovery that. It, led Puhark to the realization that the brain could be trained like a muscle to produce 8 hertz and other ELF waves at will through biofeedback and training something. And yeah. Fast forward to 1962, when Puhark's focus shifted to Arigo, he found that Arigo's brain also produced the magic number 8 hertz. In the same era, Puhark rendezvoused with his other old friend, Aldous Huxley, in Tecate, Mexico. There, he studied uh, Laura Huxley, Aldous's wife, who was, practiced, who was a psychic healer. She would make uh, passes over a patient, uh, like hand passes. Like Reiki? 
I think so, yeah. Like energy? Yeah, basically laying on hands over a patient with heart trouble, causing huge eight cycle per second waves in the patient. And coincidentally, Laura's brain waves were also at eight hertz when she was doing her magic tricks, right? Mm-hmm. And now he saw a connection between the heart of this other person and Laura Huxley's brain and training one another. This was his like, oh shit, I think I know how all this works. Fast forward to July 4th, 1976. According to information, Puhark said he got from either spooks or spooks, you know, of various kinds, corporeal or not. The Soviet Union unveiled a new weapon, an 11 hertz signal that disrupted radio communications worldwide. Puhark, alongside uh, Robert Beck, designed equipment to measure these waves and their effects on the human brain. Their experiments showed that certain frequencies could induce different emotions. With... <laughs> 6.66 hertz bringing depression, yeah. 7.83 hertz in, uh, inducing feelings of wellness, and 10.80 hertz inciting riotous behavior. Alrighty then. Strangely, they found no 8 hertz signals, the frequency considered beneficial to humans. Well, Buhark thought that, he, he observed that the sun em was emitting the same spectrum of VLF waves as the Russians were using, but with additional frequencies. It takes about three days for these energies to reach Earth, filtering through the atmosphere. Oh, wait, repeat that. So, um, this was hard for me to understand, too, and I don't think I do yet, but it's what it said. This comes from a talk Puhark gave in the 80s on psychotronics. He saw that the sun was emitting the same spectrum as ELF waves as the Russians were using. And this is like a paraphrased Puhark quote, right? Uh-huh. So... With additional frequency. So it's like just a bigger signal. Like there's all this shit. It takes three days to get for this shit to get to Earth. And then it filters through the atmosphere, which is resonating at the 7.83 hertz, the so-called Schumann resonance. Okay, this is some convoluted horse shit. Let me just pre preface this with this. I don't know what this means. There we go. I'll just be honest about it. I don't know what this fucking means. All right, try me. So you have the sun resonating with the Schumann, with the Schumann resonance and our bodies are about... 67% hydrogen, oscillating at 8 hertz, just like the rhythms of waves in the sea. And guess what the source of the sun's fucking power? Hydrogen. You get your brain oscillating at 8 hertz, you're essentially tuning into the sun's frequency. This meditative state of mind, according to Puhark, can be used to communicate with the sun and perhaps the universe at large. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to the sun. I'm unclear if he started thinking that that's what, like, spectra and shit was, because I will get to that. Ran out of time. Wow. Let me try not reading and just speaking. I don't actually know what it means, to be perfectly honest. Okay. Basically, Puharic thought that the hydrogen in our bodies, which yeah. were 67%, it oscillates at 8 hertz. Yeah. Just like the rhythm of waves in the sea. Right. And the sun is burning hydrogen. So it's producing 8 hertz. So... Which, what's happening when we tune our brain to eight hertz, we're oscillating with the hydrogen, which is like oscillating with shit around it, all the way up on a chain to the sun and the universe at large. That it's this magic rhythm that can fucking link you in with the fucking oversoul. All right. I think I, that's actually it. That's a way better way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see like a concept where, you know, different frequencies are supposed to tune you into maybe different planetary frequencies. Yeah. Like the sun being 8 hertz. Yeah, like I have no idea if that's true. All I have is Puhark's words on it. Right. You know what I mean? True or not, interesting concept. Yeah. Now, we will talk about this at the end of the episode, but Puhark did record all of his research and shit. And like, the, so like, 
his arguments for this, you can go look at, right? And like, if you're a smarter person than me, maybe you can make sense of them because they are very dense. So at a talk later on in his life, Puharik said, why don't you, uh... all right, now I, this might be top three most ridiculous series of quotes we've ever read on the show. Says page three. Yeah. Just in terms of like sheer lunacy. Yeah. Yeah. We can do with our minds what the Soviets are doing with mechanical equipment. 100 people with synchronized thinking can do incredible things. The kahunas of Hawaii or the Indian rain dancers channeling this energy from their brains. To generate 8 hertz waves in the brain, one must get rid of all body noise, aches, itches, every disturbance. Imagine that you are looking at a circle of light in your mind. This circle leads into a tunnel of light. Imagine you are traveling to the sun and entering it. It is not hot, and there are beings there. When you've entered the sun, you have locked onto great power. Using this energy in a group, one can't do it alone. With mutual reinforcement aligned, one could dematerialize nuclear bombs. Things can be made to disappear. This is the way to peace. I mean, remember all that shit that was just disappearing from fucking Uri's house and shit? Things are always disappearing, appearing. I mean, it might have been some CIA dude and fucking stealing something from Buharik's house in New York and like mailing it to Israel and shit. But, you yeah. know, things are disappearing. For sure. But yeah, eight hurts, apparently. Here's some more quotes about it. There must be absolute centeredness to oscillate our brains in tune with the sun at 8 hertz. These waves can be used for healing, to calm animals, to help the world. Other governments know about this and are going to use it for war. The kahunas knew how to use this with the negative vibration. The CIA is approaching psychics to use this to get rid of enemies, to get rid of people. We must develop this power in ourselves, connect with the sun, and send out waves of peace. These waves cannot be jammed. The lower frequency hertz waves are as long as 300,000 miles. The government has built huge transmitters in South Africa, Australia, and other places to beam ELF waves back at Russia. There's no shield that'll stop these signals. Only the brain stops it enough to cancel it. Oh, there's no chemical protection yet to stop the hydrogen atom from reacting with a magnetic field. These only interact with the brain, nothing else. Listen, I don't know. I'm kind, I'm kind of inclined to believe Puharik when and only when he's speaking as a legit parapsychologist, not a goddamn creep. Like, the man has data, you know? So, eight hertz, you know, get some binaural beat generators, flashing lights and such, go crazy. Have a good time. See if it helps you. I don't know. Also, Bihark invented a lot of other shit, too. Like, he, like, invented the fucking, I'm pretty sure he invented, like, the EEG mm -hmm. thing that read, read your fucking brainwaves. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he invented that. Like, he invented a Did lot of really? fucking shit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He also had this thing called, like, the Ideascope. It was something like that. <laughs> that was, like, a... Sounds like a comic book. It, like... it wasn't quite that, but it was real close. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> it's... It's like a ray gun that steals people's best ideas. It, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds very technicolor. I'll say that. This was a flashing light that using like an EEG would read your brainwaves 
and then synchronized to your alpha waves, which effectively split the hemispheres of the brain and allowed you to talk to the emergent entity that, you know, happens when you split the brain hemispherically, not like with an axe, but yeah, yeah, which we've mentioned before, right? Um, and the Monroe shit and stuff like the talking to entities that are due to the communication between your hemispheres. And they've actually, I read a peer-reviewed paper about the Monroe Institute shit, fucking hemisync actually doing that and like studying people having the experience of speaking to an entity in trance while listening to hemisync. There is a paper out there on that. That's interesting. And they found exactly what the Monroe Institute claimed. I don't know. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So it seems like Puhark, when he started putting everything together, he got into this trip about magnetic resonance, rhythm, and the sun and shit. It's sort of almost like this set of gears connecting our soul to the larger universe that by getting into the right rhythm, you could get up in there. Yeah. And I wasn't able to read enough of his like fucking end of life brain dump to uh, know if like he if, if that had anything to do with like what he thought the entities were like, I don't know if he talked about like his thoughts on um like perhaps why they all sound the same, but say they're different and shit because he must have noticed that. Right. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode on that someday like when I can get around to reading it. It's fucking fascinating. But yeah, as far as explanations for shit goes. It's not the worst. Gears are real. <laughs> yes, they are. You know, what I mean? you know what I mean? Gears are a real thing. Mm-hmm. You can sound like you to- haven't totally lost touch with reality when you talk about them. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Well, anyway, the Soviets are trying to mind control everybody. Apparently. Buhark's very concerned, at the very least. He tries to warn the leaders of the free world, including uh, then U.S. President Jimmy Carter, Canadian Prime uh, Prime Minister Adult Trudeau, Big Trudeau, whatever his ass was, um, and other like Western leaders being like, listen, the Soviets have mind control guns. They're trying to mind control the whole world. He was writing letters to the president and shit about that. Yeah. They didn't believe him. Kuark's paranoia surrounding ELF waves may have been exacerbated by his misadventures in Israel. As we speculated, perhaps Puhark himself was subjected to a series of covert experiments or operations in Israel designed to explore the limits of psychic powers, perhaps the limits of the human mind. This, he might have come back thinking, oh shit, all that stuff about Spectra, someone was getting me. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. At the same time, Puhark became increasingly fascinated with the work of Nikola Tesla, that old pigeon fucker. Whose research, when they get fascinated with Tesla, that's like, that's my red line. When I see someone just gets overly fascinated with Tesla. Yeah. Are my jokes just like not landing? What do you mean? I don't know. You're very low energy. I guess I'm just low energy. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. uh, I'm worried I'm not being funny. I know. It's fine. I'm just, I'm, I'm just thinking too much about unrelated things and my mind is just like really loud. Yeah. And I'm like really trying to focus on listening to you. So it's like making it hard to respond as much. Yeah. So that I can listen. It's just whenever episodes like this happen, it like sounds back like it's a struggle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I I just don't always know what to say. You, you do, know, it you feels do like a lot of times. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I left like, because it's like I left like kind of natural breaks to 
have a response. I don't know. I'm not trying to like call you out or anything. Mm-hmm. Just like it kind of, from my perspective, it feels like, I don't know, like we're almost done with this series. Like I know it sucks. You know, sometimes it's just hard to actively listen and actively respond and also know that I'm like being recorded. <laughs> you know, there's like a whole bunch of layers going on. Well, it felt, I mean, it felt to me that like you were thinking about shit that was outside. No. No, I thought that's what you just said. I mean, like, I'm trying not to. Like, I, I'm very focused on on what you're talking about. Word. Like, and that's the whole thing is that I'm so hyper-focused on listening and okay. actively listening that it's making it hard to, like, also have a conversation about it. Gotcha. Because it's feeling like it's taking my brain, like, extra steps to hear and process the information that, like, by the time my brain processes it, like... It, you know, like, I don't know. Is it not clear enough? No, I don't think that's the problem. I think that I'm just struggling to be present. And it's nothing to do with, like, the quality of the script. It's just to do with, like, um, me trying really hard to control my thoughts and keep them, like, in line and keep them focused. And, like, that's taking a lot of my energy output to like stay focused and stay actively listening yeah that formulating responses is like difficult to do gotcha i wish it it wasn't but you know maybe what else what else are you thinking about i don't know just like all the shit that i have to do (laughs) and just it's it's so hard for me to not just like think about things that i have to do and also um it's like two hours a week that we got to focus. Yeah, I know. You know, I, I got a lot of shit to think about, too. Yeah. Well, I'm listening. I'm actively listening. Okay. I don't want to, like, I'm not, I'm just trying to make sure everything's okay. Yeah, everything's good. Yeah. It's like, all this shit, I know you have things, I know you have opinions on and stuff, you know? I just question whether or not I did a good job always. Well, if honestly, it doesn't um, entertain and like when it comes to alien AI mind control stuff, I think part of me honestly disassociates because I have had like struggles with psychosis in the past. Oh, okay. Like, pertaining to like things related to that. Okay. So sometimes when subjects like that come up, like I don't really formulate strong opinions. I kind of just like check out a little bit. Gotcha. Because I don't like they're kind of topics that. I feel a little bit unsafe. Got you. Interacting yeah, no with too deeply. Yeah, I, like, I, I, honestly, I was think that's part of what I was thinking about. Was oh. Distracted by. Oh, okay, actually. dude. Yeah, fuck yeah. Just, okay. Like, not really knowing how to say that. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's type of we touch on where I do the same thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No yeah. problem. Yeah. Gotcha. So I guess like. That's helpful to I, know. Yeah, I just like was getting in my head about the topic itself and like thinking about. Because I've noticed that throughout this series. Um, And that's... Yeah, I keep getting lost in my own head about, like, relating it back to... Like, I keep getting lost in my own memories, basically, and, like, my own, like, psychosis. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I'm getting emotional talking about it, which is very weird. But, like, because there was, like, a time that I felt very much like... Like, I made a wish on an Irish Clutie tree... So that I could hear God and that God would talk to me. And after that, my reality just like fucking fell apart. (laughs) Jesus. And I felt 
guided by messages. Like it felt like there was something guiding me, something mm -hmm. telling me what to do because like everything was just so hard and so confusing that it felt good to just sort of like submit to this holy divine presence. Sure. And to ask it to like give me messages. And I remember asking my friends things like, um, how often do you think about God? Like, do you get messages from God? Do you talk to God? And they would be like, what? No, right? never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, okay. Because I felt that way constantly. Sure. I felt like I was receiving messages, like my life was just a, a jumble of synchronicities and it was so like overwhelming and crazy and I didn't know I, how to make sense of it. I think a lot of people would feel much less alone to hear you say that. Yeah, no, you can keep this in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I don't think that that's un that uncommon. No. Maybe to like a degrees of intensity, but like fucking, I think all kind of been there. And like, yeah. to me, like, I don't know, from like in my my own personal crazy um, that I still carry with me, like, I don't know, dog. That was like an act of spirit communion you did, making a wish at a Clutie tree, you know? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't. To the extent that I will say I believe in a thing, I wouldn't be surprised if like a spirit fucking got attached to your ass and shit. Yeah. And then when I stopped needing it, it went away and I was like, oh, okay, I don't believe any of that yeah. shit anymore. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm done with that. Yeah. I'm a human. That's, like, okay, cool. That sounds like <clears throat> the phenomenon that has been described as like, you know, I don't necessarily want to say possession, but like right. um, influence at the very least a thing following you around. I've and, sort of been there, you know, like it was a very it was kind of a positive thing for me, but a, a scary thing for me because it was happening at a really scary time and negative time in my life. Yeah, my yeah, mom yeah. had been diagnosed with cancer. Like, I didn't know if my whole entire reality was about to sh like turn upside down. Yeah, that must have been like right before we got back in touch. Yep. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just okay. Oh, <clears throat> right when we got back in touch, right before we started this podcast, I was like recovering from all of that, regaining <laughs> my humanity, like coming back from like pretty intense psychosis. I come bumbling back and I let's do a podcast about but, all this weird shit. Like functional psychosis. Yeah, you know yeah, how yeah. there are like high functioning alcoholics? I was a high functioning yeah. psychotic, yeah, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> guided by talking to aliens and God and whatever. Fucking okay. A. Oh, God damn it. I know what fucking song goes in this show that we're going to listen to right now and then get back into it, all right? Yeah. Oh, I can't believe I didn't. Jesus Christ. I am a scientist by Guided by Voices. <laughs> Do you know that joint? No. All right. The song's great. No. One of the things I got lost thinking about and I was in my head about is I was at this house party and this was during this time. And I was sitting on the couch and I hear this voice that just says, go outside, someone needs you. So I go outside and there's this like girl sitting on the porch and she's crying. I don't, I don't know her. Um, and this voice is like, ask if she's okay. And I'm like, what's up? Are you okay? And she's like, no, I'm not okay. And I just sit and, and like talk with her for a while. And so, so like... You know, we're talking about all this stuff, and in my head, I'm just replaying that memory, and I'm yeah. like, what the fuck was that? What was that thing that just, like, yeah. connected me to this person outside and was like, hey, there's someone outside that could use you? 
Go, you know, go talk to her. At a certain point, I've had to make the decision that like a comfortable place of not necessarily agnosticism, but a comfortable place of arm's length. Yeah. Isn't helpful anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like at a certain point, I have to say like, okay, this shit's real, whatever that means. Right. Like that spirit shit, like it looks the same in every case. It does impossible things a lot of times. It's kind of fucking real, right? <clears throat> like remote viewing's fucking real. Psychic influence on people is fucking real. The experience of spirit communication is fucking real. Yeah. Right? Like I, I've done that shit. Like that's one of the more like, you know, I never fucking like mention it, but like that sort of trance work, uh, imagining spirits and talking to them shit is kind of the only like magical shit that I do. Like that's, that's what I do every fucking day basically is like, yeah, light some shit on fire and like, you know, try and get information and try and get set places and shit. I'll tell you when I started fucking doing regular offerings to both beneficial local spirits and also anything that I might've pissed off and saying like, Hey, I didn't mean to like, may there be peace between us. My luck turned around mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, you know, I don't know. But I, I, I don't think it makes a person necessarily psychotic. I don't think that's necessarily it. No, because I don't. I don't really characterize either. my behavior as psychotic. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Was, I was talking to my therapist about it. I was yeah. talking to my doctor about it. I was like, "Yo, I hear voices. Sometimes it sounds like my dead grandpa, and he's just like telling me everything's all right." And she was like, "Oh, that sounds pretty cool." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm it does. Like, I'm like, whoa, this is my primary care doctor just telling me that hearing my dead grandpa's voice is like cool and she's like what do you think about that do you think that when people pass over they're really gone and i'm like ah she's just like everyone else we all have those questions we all want to believe that yeah. you know like yeah she's a doctor but we're all just human yeah and it makes me realize like no maybe that's like you know it was out there but it did it got me through a really hard time you know, they went too far with it, but there is a reason that she gets her work done was used as a marker of whether that woman was okay or not, right? Yeah. Because like at a certain, you know, if you're functioning, might just be who you are. Right. <laughs> like, so. No, but that was a weird slippery slope that I was in for a while. So I guess when, when we talk about topics like this, it just, it. It makes you think it, about that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially when you're stoning shit. We have topics that do that to me too. Maybe in a less positive way sometimes. Um, yep. Yeah. So no worries. Cool. I'm glad. I'm glad I know that now. Word. Yeah. So. Puhark's fascinated with Nikola Tesla now. Yep. Yep. That old pigeon fucker. And I had a phase too. We all do. We all do. It's fine. We all do. <laughs> it's fine. But that's like. That is a warning sign. Yep. yep. <laughs> it is. <laughs> now, because Nikola Tesla was also fucking batshit insane. I mean, that man fucked a pigeon. Like, I don't know. That's what I heard, at least. I don't think he fucked a that's, pigeon. That's what I heard from myself <laughs> in an earlier episode. That's what I heard. Well, Puhark went all in on, like, Tesla's research, and he started working on this book that was, like, ostensibly about Tesla's research but was also a warning about Soviet mind control guns. Of course. And I mean, mind control cannons. These things are like big, big mind guns. Okay. How do these work and what I do they do? They beam ELF waves. Okay. To, to change it for I because think the different waves I cause think, different 
thing different yeah states yeah 666 makes you sad right uh 10 point something makes you break shit um eight is good man yeah oh (laughs) (laughs) i'm just thinking that like you know say that that's not real that this is all just a delusion yeah sure this is someone who really cannot take ownership of their emotions Like, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, you know, he's a spook. Yeah. <laughs> Good God. Also, he's a spook. He might know shit. Right. Like, we've definitely speculated about like, hmm, maybe you can fuck with someone's head with a, a beam gun. Oh, you can fuck with someone's head in so many ways. Yeah. You make the, you know, here's some basic ass mind control. Put some really edgy, aggressive art all over your walls, like really gross out shit. Have someone over. See if their mood's different than the time you saw them at a nice coffee shop. Yeah. You know? It's like when I went out with a guy, I thought he was really nice, went back to his house, Selena Gomez posters all over his wall. Oh, no. What the fuck? What? Bro. That's weird. That's odd. Changed it. What? Changed. That changed it for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Oof. That's something. (laughs) That's something. (laughs) Well... And, you know, ELF waves on the effect on the human mind like that's also something Tesla was interested in shit. Now, consider this, though. We've already speculated that perhaps Buharik was being fucked with. Mm-hmm. We talked about how the fucking cricket noise and blue light was like, oh, was that that Havana syndrome shit? Was potentially Uri Geller fucking with Buharik? About half of Mossad? Perhaps they're both being fucked with? Who knows? What if the book Uri... Journal of the Mystery of Uri Geller was one of those like, quote, oh, don't mind me. I'm just a crazy man type of covers for what he would probably, probably have understood being the dude who invented what he invented to be psychotronic warfare. Huh? Eh. It's yet another in a literal fucking sea of possibilities. Yes. You know. It's very convoluted, I, but it's a possibility. Yeah. Also, Puharg was still fucking obsessed with the nine. As we mentioned in our episode on the 9th, Puharik got in touch with a psychic channeler he knew from the good old days, Phyllis Schlemmer, who taught a psychic school and doused for mining companies in Florida, as well as a racing driver named Sir John Whitmore. And they put together what would be known as Lab 9 at Puhark's home in Austin, New York. Phyllis was herself a channeler, channeling the, channeling the spirit of a fellow named Tom, whom she said was her grandfather. Okay, why does anyone want to hear from him? Uh, I don't know if she had a choice. Who cares what Tom has to say? I don't. Until you know, he, just because a guy's dead and you can channel him through your body doesn't mean what, what he has to say is important. It doesn't mean he was worth a damn. Chance. No, it's true. Like, on average, he probably wasn't. Tom. Yeah, Tom was probably just an asshole. Seriously. You can't let go. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Tom. Yeah. <laughs> no, really. Yeah, fuck Tom. Why did anyone care what Tom has to say? No one does. But before Phyllis... Channel the Nine, well, before Tom revealed who he really was, first they used this poor, unsuspecting fucking sap named Bobby Horn. Okay. Yeah, that ain't his real name. We don't know what his real name is. We talked about him on our episode on the Nine, but Bobby's ass was a line cook and also, apparently, the next channel for the Nine. Although he didn't know it. See? A line cook? Yeah, yeah, he was a cook. Where'd they find them? Daytona, Florida. Bobby's a Daytona line cook. Did they meet him through he his was, job as a line cook? No, he was a student at Phyllis's psychic school. Okay. Oh, yeah. He's just having a good time down in Florida. Okay. Don't know anything else about him. And he's, That's probably for he's the best. chosen as the channel. Yes. 
he doesn't know this because like Puhark would hypnotize him and talk to the nine and then tell Bobby that the nine said he wasn't allowed to know what they said in the channeling session. Um, no. And uh, Puhark and Schlemmer made him do this constantly. That's like, <laughs> I don't like that. You're just going to use my body like that just to channel yeah, these yeah, entities yeah, yeah. and not even let me know what they're saying. Yeah, it's not gonna good. Use me like that. It's not good at all. According to uh, Picknett and Prince, who wrote the Stargate Conspiracy, this drove Horn to uh, the brink of suicide. Yeah. Also, the Nine said that Bobby wasn't allowed to have any metal on him at all, including the fillings in his teeth. Oh. Yeah. Bobby didn't want to get the fillings removed from his teeth on the instructions of a voice he wasn't allowed to hear. He wasn't too keen on that. Right, yeah. But with, I guess, a little, come on, from Puhark. Uh. <laughs> he relented, but miraculous like a virgin birth before the dental procedure, wouldn't you know it, one morning, Bobby woke up and the fillings in his teeth had been replaced. Well, how about that? He was a little groggier than normal, but hey, we know that this entity is all about making objects disappear and making people groggy. We also, of course, know that Andrea Puhark worked on drugs for the army and invented a tooth-implanted radio receiver that's um, fucking Chekhov's tooth. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. My God, that's greasy. Like, okay. It's fucking greasy. So, like, there, there's a twofold reason why I've been disassociating during the first part of this episode. Okay. And part of it is because of my own psychotic experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other part of it is having a hypnosis and mind control fetish. Ah. Like, right. This is just, it's presenting so many weird cross sections of, of things in my life with what we're talking about. You know what I mean? Oh, that's greasy. That's really fucking greasy. Yeah, that's greasy. Greasy. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very greasy. Because I'm just like, wow, oh, being hypnotized, Jesus Christ. waking up, not having any recollection of what happened the last three days. Oh, that sounds like good. No. No, that sounds like no, fucking is, date rape. This is all, yes. That sounds like date rape in the frat house. What the fuck? So, so I'm also having to do extra work to like catch myself up with. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Sure. Behind the curtain of my twisted brain. That's greasy. So, <laughs> I cannot deny. So, so, all right. Discarnate Egypt entities, Egypt aliens, or human evil? The world may never know. <laughs> well, Bobby did eventually fuck off, though, and Phyllis Schlemmer learned that Tom was actually Atum, the ancient Egyptian monogod, a.k.a. the Nine. Okay, he's just going by Tom these days. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta modernize it. Yeah, you know, not freak people out. Anyway, for more shit on the nine and that, uh, go listen to the episode. So this is not her great. This is not her grandfather anymore. Tatum. Okay. The Sphinx. It's fucking the nine. It's like I'm sorry for pretending to be your grandpa. No, it was just my cover. I'm the nine. Typical. <laughs> maybe never. Maybe you should never asked him straight up if he was. I think she might have just assumed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Puhark was still looking for another Uri Geller. Remember, he's fascinated with these. Singular people. Okay. Right? Bobby Horn wasn't it because he got he was, suicidal. And he was a pussy. He was like, bye. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He <laughs> pussied out. He um, wasn't fit for that. Yeah. Hypno life. No, he wasn't. He was a, he was a, he was a weak bitch. 
<laughs> well, Puhark's, I don't know if Bobby was ever supposed to be another Uri, but Puhark did find another Uri and a woman by the name of Greta Woodrow. That's her pen name, at least. She isn't really brought up that much. Have you ever heard of her before? No. Yeah, I hadn't either. Um, Despite her writing like two books about her channeling bullshit and despite like her claims being one impressive on their own and it doesn't take a lot of evidence to get your re- impressive on their own claims talked about, right? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty low bar. You can just say shit. The fact that she wrote two whole books about it, like someone should know who she is. Also, it's like the same shit as Uri. She's another Uri Geller. Like, she first met Puhark at a party in rich-ass Connecticut land, where she apparently passed out while giving Puhark a demonstration of her psychic powers and then started channeling something, which, uh, I don't know, let's just move on past that. This time, they weren't the Nine, or Spectra, but the Ogata. Okay. But it's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same same exact thing as the Nine, or Spectra, or whatever. Like, literally the same. She remembered making first contact with the Ogata as a young girl. Spoons started bending her all around her. Like her and Puhark stayed, her and her husband stayed with Puhark for a while. She, he studied her. Like there's like spontaneous spoons bending, like in front of like famous scientists and shit and all this stuff, according to her books and stuff. She describes the same sort of like projector ass thing as Uri, which she named her first book after a slide of light. Um, you know, the Ogata have their own world and shit. There's a bunch of different ones of them, but they're more like fairies than Spectra, mm-hmm. right? But they occupy the same exact fucking place. Yeah. Yeah. It's just her version of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's, you know. Another one. <laughs> now we get to use that for two things. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So she wrote two books. Apparently she had a good time. Yeah. Good old time. Um, I don't exactly know when and why she fucked off from Puhark's orbit. Maybe he just got all the data right. he needed. Maybe so she moved away. She was fully conscious of what she was channeling, though. Like, it wasn't being kept from her. No. Yeah. No. It also wasn't like... He wasn't pumping her for information. Right. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you start to feel weird if you knew that, like, your body was being used as a channel for these disincarnate entities and that, like... For hours a day, they were occupying your body, and then for the rest of the time, you're alone in your body. But are you? Wouldn't you start to question it? I'd fucking hate it. Yeah. 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 Would, yeah, yeah, yeah. You start to feel weird, like you would maybe opened up something within yourself that you couldn't undo, and and you would start to like question your own thoughts, your own mind. How much of it is you? How much of it is what you've let in? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, she did a lot of like psychic healing and stuff, and like which seems like a safe non crazy making way to go if you think you have psychic powers right the psychic healers seem to be the most grounded the most at peace with themselves i think mm-hmm. i think what would what drove bobby horn crazy is just the idea of not knowing yes not knowing what it was Bobby what Horn, if say. that story is true which yeah. it coming from like stargate conspiracy and shit i have to say like it's there's a chance it's not true there's a chance it's exaggerated or whatever if that's true that's fucking straight up horrific abuse. Yeah, it's enough to drive any man crazy. If that's true, it's one of the worst goddamn things I've ever heard in my life. You know what else is one of the worst goddamn things I've ever heard in my life? What's that? The next poor fuck to enter Puhark's orbit. This one gets dark. A woman named Belita Adair. Now, I have a quote from Belita's website, rewritten for, rewritten for clarity. This woman is 
she has a death metal uh outfit it's called like satanic corpse or something some fucking metal name cool <laughs> yeah well so she was at one point when she was a young a young lass known as the musical medium she made the cover of fate magazine cool she would play the piano and stuff and like channel music and stuff and she, you know it talks about how like you know the room would go cold when she would start channeling music and stuff and shit and like yeah 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 but then she got in touch with Andrea Puhark. Well, first she got in touch with SRI. Then she got in touch with Andrea Puhark. And, um, oh, her life went to complete shit. She lost her fucking mind. Okay. Yeah. See, this is where my psychosis comes in. Because I'm thinking about this track that I made and I posted on Bandcamp. Yeah. That I made what I felt oh, was the MID through, shit. through the yeah. help of a spirit. This song, right. like devoted to just a, a goddess yeah you know that just like poured out of me and i made it with the help of the spirits that were flickering the lights to let me know what what they liked then i post this don't share it with anyone it's just played on mit's station they tagged me to let me know that they did that and i'm like that's weird because one of my psychotic delusions was that mit specifically was doing mind control experiments on me so i'm like okay Here's the song that I made that I feel like I, I made with the help of channeled entities. And now here it is being played on the MIT radio station. And they're letting me know that they did that. And I'm just like, why? You know, thank you. But 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 I feel weird about that. And this just makes me think about Meanwhile, that. it's some 20 year old college DJ. That's just exactly what it, it is. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's, it's none of that. But you see how the mind can be your own worst enemy. You'd be forgiven for having that delusion. I'd probably go there, too. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? I mean, when you're making channeled music. Yeah. We've all been there. Really? <laughs> 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 I played on my TV radio station. Would you like to read this? I'd love to. I... This period has been a time of profound introspection for me, delving into the realms of darkness and the demonic dimension. The entities that once visited and flowed through me are still with me, traversing the portals between this world and the next. These beings manifest as the Eva voice. A presence echoed in my music, all channeled during those dreadful psychic experiments within the confines of a Faraday cage in Ossining, New York. Parapsychologist Dr. Andrea Puharik carried out these experiments, subjecting me to hours of investigation within the cage. Under his supervision, the environment was manipulated with minimal air and the introduction of electric currents. His relentless pursuit of knowledge coaxed from me atomic numbers and formulas, which were communicated through the entities inhabiting me. Their directive was to share this knowledge through my music and philosophy, a concept Puharik vehemently opposed. He preferred a clandestine approach, even lying to these beings about his intent to disseminate the Eva voice via electronic mediums. Eva, I found, can symbolize dead life, aligning it with a vampiric essence. This dark force accompanies my life, my daily life in music, a constant reminder of my time as an MK Ultra experiment subject. The experience left me with lasting damage marked by cognitive difficulties and a struggle to navigate the world. The impact of these tests continues to reverberate in my life. Now in my 50s, the memories of the psychic experiments conducted on me in my 70s remain vivid. I recall the confinement of the cage, the intense pressure applied to my forehead by Puharik, and the oily residue left in my hair which upset my mother. Looking back, I suspect he might have administered some substance, perhaps a drug, through my skin. 
One session stands out where the lack of air in the cage led to dizziness and disorientation for all of us, including my sister Tanya and even Puharik himself. I experienced a near-death sensation and vivid hallucinations. Puharik attributed this episode to a psychic in incident, showing little interest in hearing more about it. Given that I had never used recreational drugs, it's likely that this was a severe reaction to an unknown substance administered to me without my consent during the sessions. Okay, so, up top, this is clearly somewhat of an unreliable narrator, right? Yeah. Self-admitted to having mental uh, cognitive problems, shit like that, right? However, on her website are a bunch of photographs of her and Puhar together. There are transcripts of channeling sessions, handwritten letters from Puhar to her, also, for a while, she was in England, and um, when we get this, and apparently Ira Einhorn was masquerading as Buharik, and she was a little too crazy to tell the difference, but there are pictures of shirtless Ira Einhorn on her website if you want to see that. You don't yeah. want to see that. Oh, you know? he's greasy. Greasy. It's all greasy. I generally, like, I'm very skeptical of random people claiming to be part of MK Ultra. Yep. Or like... Again, but a lot of times they usually go for a monarch if it's a grift, right? Let's there. I think there is good cause to take this woman very seriously while also acknowledging that cognitive distortions might play a role. Right. I don't think she's lying at all. And there's evidence of her being with Puhar. Definitely. Yeah. So Belita was a relatively normal, healthy and happy young girl. Her days were filled with music, playing with dolls, dancing, reading comic books. She was a little out of the ordinary, talking to spirits and psychic abilities, but she was happy. She was having a good time. She was going to college and shit. She was going to school, fucking getting her work done. Uh, in the mid-70s, she went to Hollywood and tried to be a star. Eventually, she, uh, well, she was known as the musical medium. Like I said, she was on the cover of Fate Magazine and shit. Yeah. Eventually, she got hooked up with SRI. They wanted to study her psychic powers. And apparently, this sucked ass. There was one particular session that would forever change Polita. A group of people clad in clinical lab attire, both women and men, separated Belita from her family and the overseeing parapsychology professor. They led her into a secluded room, shutting her away from familiar faces. Uh, in a locked, darkened chamber, she was subjected to a barrage of verbal abuse and a disconcerting, piercing noise. It seemed to emanate from some kind of technical equipment that the group was operating. However, and, and this, this was just a bad fucking time. And it left her a bit traumatized. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, there is reason to think that some psychic experiments might have used the traumatic response as a way to induce it, because that is a thing, an acknowledged thing in some of this literature that that's, oh, yeah, you can become psychic after intense trauma, which we've talked about at length. Yes, we have. Yeah. <clears throat> so the year following this incident, Belita's health rapidly deter deteriorated. She lost a fucking ton of weight. Uh, dark circles appeared under her eyes. She was what she going through what she calls an inexplicable mental torment. Um, and her, her mother was battling health issues too, needed a life-saving hysterectomy. And it was during this period they first made contact with Dr. Andrea Puharik. Initially, their interactions were limited to phone conversations in which Puharik expressed a keen interest in Belita's psychic abilities and her sudden illness. Following all these phone talks, plans were made for Belita and her mother to join, to go to Austin, New York, and work with Puhark. 
Upon their arrival, Burak was keen to understand the timeline of Polita's deteriorating health, her symptoms, any other pertinent details. He made a promise to her mother, assuring her that he would lighten her load by offering help and understanding. Uh, Mom recounted the onset of Polita's illness following the Stanford tests, and then things quickly spiraled downhill. The tests Burak administered were intense, long, and as we mentioned, like the Faraday cage was a sealed box. So the oxygen deprivation might be a fucking thing. Or maybe she was overwhelmed or whatever. I don't know. Well, under the strain of tests at Puarik's own Austin, she was reduced to a skeleton, her mind foggy, yearning for the days when she was healthy. One memory from this time was an attempt to eat a small cheese sandwich late at night, only to be abruptly pulled back into Puarik's testing cage for more probing sessions until the early hours of the morning. <sighs> yeah. And like, you know, they went there in February of 1977. It's cold, shitty in New York. Park picked them up from the airport and, like, during the lengthy drive to his home, he pointed out Sleepy Hollow, like, regaling them with tales of the headless horsemen and shit. And, like, at, which at first was like, oh, good fun times with the old man. Later on, it was like, oh, my fucking God. Right? Like. No, because I feel like even then, that's um, a subtle form of programming. Yeah. This idea of losing your head, of, of becoming headless. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. just putting it in there little no, by little. No, l- let me clarify. Alita thought it was fun at first, and then later realized it was never fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were initially excited and hopeful. The house, nestled at 87 Hawks Avenue in Austin, Hawks Avenue, of course, was a large white house trimmed in red, surrounded by snow-capped trees. Additional houses on the property housed other test subjects. Good Lord. Where she says, however, their initial excitement started to wane when they realized they had to cover their own expenses. And a $500 check from their Aunt Marie, intended for their needs, was instead used by Puhark to cover his expenses. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta do it again. I gotta do it again. Oh my god, that's greasy. That's, that's greasy? You that's fucking really kidding greasy. me? Like, damn, dude. Despite the concerning start, Belita maintained her optimism, hoping that something positive would come from the psychic research work. Little did she know that the weeks ahead would be filled with grueling testing sessions, depression, and longing for the freedom to walk among the trees instead of being cooped up inside an airless chamber. Day after day, she would lay in the Faraday cage answering Puhark's questions as she channeled the High Priestess and other entities from a realm known as the Syabian world. The ru- wow. Yeah. The routine- it's Elaborate. Yes. Very- well, it, it always has been. Yeah. The routine was constant, grueling sessions, followed by the playback of the day's recorded events while all sitting on Puhark's bed. Uh, the tapes were then transcribed by Puhark's secretary and hidden away. Even the setup for the sessions was unchanging, with Belita lying flat on the floor, her head between Puhark's legs, she says. I don't know. That's what she says. An ominous dial adjusted periodically by Puhark controlled the airflow in the metal cage, each adjustment making Belita feel sicker. Despite being an accomplished pianist, when a party was held for Puhark's influential friends and funders, Belita's request to play was turned down. Instead, she was urged to abandon music and concentrate solely on her scientific pursuits. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. She, along with her mother and sister, ordered to remain unseen during the party. After this disappointing experience, Puark apparently allegedly wanted them to sell their California home and move permanently to Austin, New York. Yet, disillusioned and physically unwell, they went back to California. Upon their return... Belita focused on overcoming her anorexia and managed to regain some weight. However, in the spring summer, in the spring and summer, they were pressured by Puhark to go to London. According to Puhark, there's a significant investor, the head of the Bank of England, who is interested in seeing Polita's psychic abilities in person. They got there July 1977, where, quote, Puhark met them. 
Despite the cultural adjustment of driving on the opposite side of the road and the stress of the entire trip, they managed to settle in a small bread and bed and breakfast. They were then taken to the Bank of England to meet with the bank president, who showed a keen interest in the psychic phenomenon. Belita performed demonstrations of her psychic abilities, but Puharik insisted on keeping everything quiet, like having previously like said, oh, we're going to spread your music through this thing that he called the Trinity Project that the High Priestess channeled, which was to get Belita a record deal, essentially. Same thing with like Uri in the movie, you know? Um, Belita performed demonstrations of her psychic abilities, but yeah. A reporter for the London newspaper Psychic News <laughs> wrote about Belita's abilities in an article published on July 23rd, 1977. <clears throat> in another meeting with the bank president, she accidentally ended up channeling an entity calling itself yeah like something else broke through and the way she writes it she's like something else broke through and it called itself the nine <laughs> uh adair describes the nine as being demonic and evil beyond fucking belief holy shit yeah the bank president found this entire event exciting and even entertaining however once he got the bank president's money quote puharik uh began to distance himself from Belita and her family. He just fucked off. He just left them in the lurch in England. Yeah. Now, the bank president, sensing their discomfort, arranged for them to be picked up at his Rolls Royce and take to his mansion. They got like a fancy Englishman's treat like he felt bad for him, so he put him up and it was That's it was fine. fine. They enjoyed their stay. You know. Um, now, the Puharic in England, it turns out, was not actually Andrea Puharic. <laughs> that was Ira Einhorn. Yeah, that's really fucking creepy. It's super fucking creepy, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, when she, like the photos on her website prove this and it's really ridiculous. She's like, I found this photo. I don't think this is, I think this might not actually be Puharic. It's like, that's not Puharic. That's not, that's not the same fucking man. No. no. <laughs> it's fucking Ironhorn. Um, so the early eighties after Belita and her sister had relocated to Las Vegas, they found themselves back in contact with the real Andrea Puharic. They, he called him up. He was flying into Vegas. They collected him from the airport and treated him to a, a meal at a buffet and on the Vegas Strip. It's a fun place for him to be, you know. <laughs> yeah. Before bringing him back to their house, he was visiting Las Vegas for a few days and stayed in the upstairs room of Belita's grandmother's house. The following fucking grandfather. Why is he there? <laughs> this is disgusting. I know. I don't like any of this at all. I hate all of this it. This is from a mind control fetishist. I hate this. And and this is gross. This is a greasy old man. This is so bad. <laughs> I know. It sucks. Like. It's real shitty, dude. He's literally been grooming her and brainwashing her. You know, the ointment. God knows what sort of drugs are in oh, that. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rubbing on yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. All that shit. Just like, it's so seedy. None of this is good. No. That's why I put off doing this series for so long. Yeah. Is this shit. God damn it. So, <laughs> at my grandma's house, Puharik turned to Belita and commented that she seemed stunted suggesting a mental limitation on her part instead of offering assistance or support he seemed only interested in ridiculing her notably absent from this his conversation was any discussion of psychic phenomena or spiritual evolution Puharik appeared solely interested in like money and mundane matters and like his reputation hmm. oh yeah also while in vegas he went to this like electronics convention where he told them that he was like had to give a talk or something they asked if they could come in with him he said no and the reason he came was because he was using someone else's credit card. Oh. Yeah, I don't even know what that means, but it's like, okay. we'll, we'll see where he is at, in the early 80s in a little bit. But 
Yeah, dude. Um, you know, she thinks she was involved in an extension of MK Ultra. She says she doesn't know the extent of what was done to her, but she feel, still feels the impact in her day-to-day life, struggling with cognitive tasks that should have been routine. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds way more like she's brain damaged than crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have some relatives that have had some brain damage, and it kind of sounds like that. I imagine you would be if you had been systematically like brainwashed from a young age, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So there's that. Now, look, maybe this sounds like a lot of nonsense. Especially since the way it's written on her website reads completely schizophrenic. But I'm just going to run through everything again on Adair's Web website. design is hard. No, no, no. Her grammar and sentence structure is fucked beyond belief. Like her writing skills are fucked beyond belief. Is she like old while writing this? In her 50s. This was published in like uh, 2011 or something. Typing's hard too. No, the it, something happened to her head. Her <laughs> writing skills are fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Not only are there like a bunch of photos of her and Puhar together. Of course, across different years and different places. Postcards. Yeah, there's a letter written by fucking Puhark to to them. Yep. It's sleazy. It's very buttering her up. You can tell how we got all that patron money, you know? There's transcripts of channeling sessions. I couldn't read them because they're in like really small JPEGs. Like, it's hard to read. Like, she didn't do a good job uploading the pictures. I don't even know if she's still fucking alive, you know? It was last updated in like 2011. There's the pictures of shirtless fucking Ira Einhorn, a handwritten letter from Puhark. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of details there that we see time and time and time again, right? And like, look, this motherfucker is difficult enough for us to get a hold on in 2023. I have a hard time believing that she'd be able to write as genuinely incoherently as she does while also nailing facts about like how Puhark was boning his assistant Solveig Clark and shit. Like specifics that like I took out of the story and shit, but that I had to find by like reading fucking memories of a maverick and like, like all these other hard to find ass fucking books. Yeah. Right. I mean, not having a handle on grammar, not being able to write very well, doesn't mean that everything that you say is a lie. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I know. Right. I'm reinforcing. Yeah. What you're- I'm saying that the fact that she, I'm, it's a roundabout way of saying, I think she's kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Probably wasn't always, but something happened to her brain. I don't think she's probably the best at research, especially not in 2011, right? Um, like, I don't know, but, like, that's just my read on it. Well, how do you make sense of a lifetime of memories that are so muddled? Sure. You know? But she has these details and these patterns that we see in all the other channelers. Yep. His inventions. She talks about how there being fucking mushrooms on the shelf. The oily substance with his finger. Like, normally, drugs can't get administered through the fucking skin. However, what was that fucking drug you brought up in episode one? Like the Edgewood drug. EA three five so, one something like something like that. Three five one six maybe. Yeah, something like that. A Datura extract, right? Mm. A Datura mm-hmm. synthesis. Which was the exact chemicals that Andrea Puhark was working with at Edgewood. Okay. So we actually have like that that might be a thing. Spurious at best, but like, you know. Maybe or you know, maybe she's trying to discredit him. Maybe it's a big spirit just discredit him with some cockamamie bullshit, but 15 years after his death, 15 years after his death, when he's already a non-person in the eyes of the establishment. It's too believable. And a niche figure in the paranormal scene. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't add up. If it was a grift, she wouldn't use MKUltra. She'd use Monarch. Not saying it was actually MKUltra. It's just the real touchstone you'd use in that case. The timelines add up. The channeling patterns add up. Well, And it just makes sense with what Andrea Puharik 
has done throughout his career. Yes, it does. You know, now, that's there, why it's easy for me to believe. Right. While there isn't obviously an element of an unreliable narrator here, and the specifics I want to stress should not be taken as gospel, the broad strokes add more evidence to an already damning portrait of this man. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I'll say some good things about him at the end, too, about him as a scientist and parapsychologist, but a good man, Andrea Puharik, was not. Let's talk about the Geller kids. <laughs> okay. It's as dark as it's going to get. Just so you know, we're, we're moving out of the darkness now. All right. Even though we are on to children. Okay. So a series of events that had taken place in May 1975 made him decide to start a program with children. While in England, he'd met several children who could bend spoons, blades, or pocket knives and keys. He took the kids to Glastonbury Tour. This experience with the kids was the first time that Andrea thought about a program for children. The second time occurred two weeks later in Mexico. Puarque went to Mexico at the request of a Mexican TV station and as a result of his visit, three boys, Jamie, Jonathan, and Octavio, were so impressive that he decided to invite them to Ossining for a summer program. In July 1975, Puharik wrote to Hermans that, uh, Bep Hermans, who wrote Memories of a Maverick, uh, quote, <clears throat> I am now turning my attention to healing work and work with children. I started an experiment school. The nine space kids are all here. Puharik and Hermans' own 14-year-old son, Andy, was also at Ossining. All the kids lived by themselves at Turkey Farm, a house on the estate and maintained a house on the estate. They maintained a strict daily routine of meditation, dream telling sessions, hobby time, workouts and swimming. They took turns cleaning the house and doing the cooking. Either Andrea or somebody else would give talks on the hazards of drugs or smoking. Andy never told me what it meant to be a space kid until recently. If he had told me then that each kid was hypnotized in order to go back to his parent civilization, I probably would have flipped and kept him home. According to Andy, most of the kids present came from another planet. They had voluntarily returned to Earth to help in the raising of human consciousness. That's why Daddy set up the program. Andy told me it was to remind kids of their mission in life, program with the kids lasted until the end of August, but all through 1975 and 1976, young people from all over the world kept coming to Austining. How about that? Yeah, how about how that? That was also literally part of my delusions, that idea that I had come here as an alien soul to help raise human consciousness. Well. <laughs> it's also... Maybe you shouldn't go back to Boston. I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not weird stuff happened there. There was a Harvard professor that gave me a weird tincture. Oh weird, fuck! Weird stuff happened. Don't go back to Boston, dude. I'm not going to. Fuck that. I'm not going either. Solidarity. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know what that also reminds me of, right? Like, how many fucking cult leaders of a certain persuasion make a stop at Mount Shasta before really going all in? Oh yeah. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, do we mention that Puharik is fucking nuts at this point too? The space kids. Space kids, dude. Hypnotizing these children that just from Mexico. Yeah. It's just some Mexican kids. I think there was like a bunch of different countries represented. He's living at Puarg's house. My goodness. <laughs> That's from his second wife, too. His second wife wrote that. Um, remember, she was the one who uh, like looked after his crazy first wife's kids and shit. I, I believe her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, she's just okay with this. She knows about all this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's okay. No, she said she wasn't. She wouldn't have let their son be there. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. I did literally, those words came out of my mouth. I read them. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yo, I mean, even Jacques Vallée's published diaries, like, include how he's meeting with Puark in, like, 1976. Puark's telling him that aliens are talking to him through his watch. Whew. So, in August of 1977, the Nine, as Tom, through Phyllis Schlemmer, <laughs> gave, <Not Tom. laughs> gave Puharks some more instructions. Uh, all right. Summary. Update on information. Remind linkage. Of the greatest benefit to the planet Earth, we thank you. In the coming days, with respect to Soviet emissions, within six weeks you'll have an opportunity to demonstrate in Mexico the devastation of the Soviet emissions. From now until the 18th of November, there will be an acceleration of influence on Earth from the 24 civilizations. Soviets have the ability to use Tesla MT to penetrate, sever, and bend the lines that support the Earth. This can be devastating as it weakens all life systems. Superficially, it stimulates crops, living things, but the long-term effect is contaminating, devastating. Please go to Mexico to demonstrate because the Soviet emissions are strong in Mexico. So that's the Soviet mind control emissions? Yes. This is Tesla magnetic technology, I believe. Maybe Tesla mind technology, I don't know. TMT. When will the Soviets use TMT in warfare? Soviets are considering this use, but they are still learning of negative effects on their own land. They still are not sure of the total effects of their emissions. Regarding message to President Carter and Trudeau, not effective. Shall I write book to warn world? Mexico will give you the entree, but the book will be more important. In two months, alert the nation of Israel. Synchronized work of JWPSAP. Good to be in harmony. Exchange info and energies. Your energy is needed to counteract Soviet emissions. We, the Nine, will communicate with you. Start in nine to twelve days. The sessions lasted until early 1977 when Andrea and the Woodrows flew to Reykjavik, Iceland, where Andrea was to host the Frontier of Physics conference. At the conference, something happened. I don't know what. Hermans just mentions that something happened that made Puharik even more determined to write his book on Tesla and ELF, like he thought that the Soviets bombarded the conference with ELF waves. Don't know what happened. But after the conference... Park went down to Mexico to study another psychic surgeon named Pachita. Apparently, Pachita stuck a rusty knife in his ear and got him his hearing back, which was fading. You know, another one. Another one. Coming back home, Puhark made a deal for the publication of the manuscript, the Tesla manuscript, which was supposed to drop in late 1978. But a series of shady events prevented that from happening. First, his publisher basically called in sick and was like... Oh, Andrea, you know, I'd love to publish it, but I'm too sick to even read. Quite literally. <laughs> like, he's like, I can't do it. I got this a bad illness. Uh, then he got a call from one of his scientist friends in California, Andrea did, saying that the CIA had somehow gotten their hands on the manuscript, which was odd since there should have only been Puhark's personal copy and the one he gave the publisher. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, in August 1978, uh, someone uh, lit Puhark's home and lab uh, the fuck on fire. Holy shit. Burned it the fuck down. Whoa. Burned it the fuck down. Okay. Says, I returned to my home after a week of discussions with the local police, the fire chief, the insurance company's fire investigator, and eyewitnesses. The following picture emerged. One or more persons had entered the house between 9.30 a.m. and 10.20 a.m. They had liberally soaked the front entrance hall, carpets and furniture, and the back entrance porch, particularly a hemp mat, with a highly flammable and smoke-producing liquid. They turned on all the gas burners in the kitchen, even let the dog in, before they left the house. Then the front and back porches were ignited separately and probably simultaneously. 
The expert investigators concluded that the fire had been that the fire had been set by professional arsonists with the obvious intention of entrapping all the occupants. Only the early return of two of my students, Don and Jamie, and their quick, cool actions had saved the lives of the other occupants. If the intent of the arsonists had been to also destroy my research records, tapes, and films of 30 years of work, they must have been disappointed. Miraculously, right in the midst of the flame and smoke, all of my most important research material survived. So, Quark did what any self-respecting maniac would do. He blamed CIA and ran to Mexico with his new wife, Rebecca, and their daughter, Belina. Before continuing the script, I want to mention something. Also in Jacques Vallée's uh, journals, he says that he had lunch with Ira Einhorn and tried to press him for what in, uh, Jacques Vallée writes it as like, I tried, I tried to get from him what he knew about the fire at Puharik's house, about who set the fire at Puharik's house, but he wouldn't give me anything. The way Valet writes, I don't have the quote pulled up, it implies that Einhorn, that Valet believed Einhorn definitely knew something, which could mean a couple of things. Yeah. The thing I just thought of, this motherfucker's broke. <laughs> Puharik is fucking broke. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh-huh. You know, he said CIA did it, that he ran to Mexico. I wonder if he got the insurance money first. Well, <clears throat> his journal from the, he did write this in his journal though, and it, this is extremely funny to me. This is from his journal. This is from his journal while he's in Mexico. My first goal is accomplished, to stay alive and finish the book, but mostly to thwart the CIA. Next, some kind of resolution of all this complexity is needed. First, after years of carrying a group of people, I feel I need a sabbatical. Therefore, I will live for myself, Rebecca, Belina, and Solomon for a year. Unborn child. Secondly, because of the CIA pressure, I should set up an IRI here in Tepotsalan until things clarify with respect to safety. Thirdly, I need some work priorities. These should be contact Hoover, Ogata, Altea, CCC text, slowly build cultural survival center, Pachita project, water research, plants, peep, TD studies, resume, write a book. <laughs> Procedure. Locate Irie in Tepotsalan. Pachita, clinic, revise, time no longer. Plant research, the Iceland papers. It's such a crazy dude in Mexico it's list of things to do. Yeah. It's a journal. I know, but it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of funny things. The Cultural Survival Center. Holy shit. He also made a breakthrough on his whole watch divination system after reading the Cypher Yetzera. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. He called the book he was writing on it the Cosmic Clock Code. Well, two years after Mexico, after two years in Mexico, he returned to the States. Apparently, the Cultural Survival Center, like, got a little culty at one point. According to his son, who was bored to tears, like not full culty, but like everyone had to be a vegetarian and shit. And like, it was really boring. So like kind of culty, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, after two years, he returned to the States and that's when he crashed at Belita Adair's place in Vegas and like gave that quote, quote, talk an electronics conference while using quote, quote, someone else's credit card. Look, say what you say, what you will, but still, but still it's a fucking vibe. <laughs> It's a fucking vibe. <laughs> Running to Mexico with someone else's credit card in Vegas. It's that spook life, dude. <laughs> it's a fucking vibe. Whose credit card, I wonder? <laughs> Who gives a shit? 
Some some communists, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Puharik also claims he was approached by the CIA in 1982, who apologized and offered to squash the beef. Uh, oh, and really? Said he could have the job as a d- director of their ELF program. He turned it down because he said he didn't want to work for such greasy bastards. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when Puharik returned to the States, he's like fucking old now, dude. He's in his like late 60s, you know. When Puharik returned to the States, he found a place to live thanks to another benefactor, Josh Reynolds in North Carolina. I'm assuming this is the same Reynolds as the tobacco company. Reynolds was a patron to many scientists, and he allowed Puharik to live and research on his estate. His research, according to Hermans, was mostly on conventional science. There's still ESP and other fringe shit in there. The videos you're going to find of Puharik online, a lot of them are from this period. Yeah. I don't think he's in a classroom. I think he's at his fucking weird little science science man house. Um... The biggest thing he seemed to be interested in throughout this last period was inventing a method for splitting water molecules efficiently for the generation of hydrogen as a renewable fuel, I believe. He claimed that technology was being suppressed. Others claim it didn't work. I'm going to condense this greatly. Puharik's an old fucking man now, and not a lot of of exciting shit happens this decade. Yeah, basically. He's just old now. Yeah, like he's doing science shit. But in 1993, Puharik began compiling all of his research since the early 1970s into one monstrous tome of manuscript. This is still hosted by his son on his website. As a PDF, it's incredibly interesting. It's basically all of his theories on ESP and the magnet shit and all this stuff. It's also way over my head. It's science. It's at least too over my head to dig into for the series. I would like to take a crack at it. Maybe I'll open it up for like a Patreon episode or something. Well, in 1995, Puhark's benefactor had died and the estate was kicking off all the scientists who lived there. Puharik had literally nowhere else to fucking go and fought the eviction, squatting in this billionaire's estate. On January 3rd, 1995, at Reynolds' estate, Andrea Puharik suffered a heart attack and fell down a flight of stairs and died. Womp womp. The executor of the state said that he had recently talked to Surrey County Social Services to get Puharik involuntarily committed so he would get some medical help. Quote, I knew he could not continue in that environment without first-class medical attention. When Reynolds died, he had not provided for Andrea in his will. Was he counting on that? (laughs) The executor handling the the sale of the estate had no alternative than to ask Andrea to vacate the premises. The date was set for September 15th, 1994. Andrea was resolved to leave, sadly, but nevertheless with all intent. However, in July 1994, he collapsed and was hospitalized. Examination showed severe severe diabetes, kidney failure related to the diabetes, anemia secondary to the kidney function, high blood pressure, progressive dementia due to the anemia and lack of blood supply in the brain. He had sudden violent outbursts, pulled out IVs, and pulled off the telemetry patches. He also had a rash on his leg, which was a possible onset of gangrene. The doctors advised Andrea to look for a placement in a rest home, but he refused to even consider it. It was then he decided to return him to the care of Susan Mandel, but to keep placement in a rest home in mind. On the day of his discharge, Andrea was stable, talkative, and in good spirits, but on the way home, he suddenly developed generalized weakness and was re-hospitalized. Uh, Beth Hermans writes, Andrea Puharik was my former husband and father of my two children, Yvonne and Andy. We knew that he was seriously ill and that he had to leave the estate. We had therefore come from Holland, where we had lived since 1965 for a possible last visit and to help with the packing and moving. This had been four months ago in September 1994. Fortunately, at the last minute, Andrea refused to go with Andy to upstate New York, where Andy had rented and furnished a small apartment for his father and Susan, not too far from Maritza, Andrea's daughter. 
It was a sad ending of a difficult but also wonderful visit. It was a time of lovingness. Danica, also a daughter from Andrea's first marriage, had joined us, and in the evening we would all sit on the porch, enjoying the sound of the rushing streams some yards in, out in the front, and the racket of the crickets. Andrea was like a child, loving every minute of our company. With a happy smile on his face, he would look at each of us and say over and over again that we should do this more often. He thought it was Christmas, and he thanked me for getting the whole gang together. You're always such a great organizer, he said. It was wonderful to see how, because of this happiness, his periods of lucidity became longer each day. We acted like the lovebirds we once were, holding hands and chatting away to the delight of the children. They had never seen their parents that way. Also worth pointing out that Bep only really knew him from letters since 1965. You know? I think yeah. she wanted it to be something it wasn't. Um, of the service, if one could call it that. Crossing the last of six wooden bridges that span the Mitchell River, we're on the driveway that leads to the big old house. Such sadness, the whole place. Inside, the same filth and stench as in September, with the zillion cats scurrying away. I can still hear Andrea's slippered feet shuffling towards the stairs. We had wondered how he still managed to get up and down unaided. We had been afraid that one day he would slip. Quickly, I go outside to the porch where he used to sit by the hour, enjoying the sound of the rushing stream. I watch the people assembled talking to the reporter from the Charlotte Observer. Phyllis and, Han and Henry Belk, businessmen from North Carolina, are the only people I know. It's is Phyllis Schlemmer. Israel Carmel is there too. He's a healer and Phyllis's husband. Another medium like Phyllis is Mary Meyer. She's brought a portable cassette player and a bouquet of red roses. Joseph, her husband, is an engineer and psychical researcher. Also, Elizabeth Rocher. Another scientist who faces eviction is present. We're waiting for Susan. Off to the side, I spot Kenneth, the caretaker of the estate. He's a big, burly, bearded man with the kindest eyes I've ever seen. When I had first met him in September, he wore a cowboy hat and what looked like a shark tooth necklace on his hairy chest. He carried a knife and a gun to protect me from snakes, he said. Uh, as a eulogy, Park's son wrote... At this service, such as it was, Puark's son wrote, I welcome you all on this sad day to say goodbye to a man who has meant a great deal to each and every one of us at one point or another during his life on planet Earth. I thank you for coming. I thank you for coming. Some of my dad's friends couldn't be here today, but they have faxed their goodbyes. May I ask you to read them and your own farewells out loud, please? Funeral by fax machine. And I think this sums it up. Uh, Herman's writes, Listening to the people talk about Andrea, I realized that I hardly know anything about the work he did for the past 20 years. For a long time, I had, after I had left, I maintained an interest in his work, but in 1974 I got fed up with him. This was undoubtedly also the reason why his three daughters were not present today. Asked about this by the reporter who had read somewhere that Dr. Puark had six children, I excused their absence as being due to out-of-state residence, work, and family commitments. Besides, I told her... They knew that their father was seriously ill and said goodbye when they visited him in July and September of 1994. All except one, I reflect, and I wonder how old Athena, how old Athena is now. Uh, Solomon ended up being Athena. Ah. Yeah. Is she 15 or 16? She's Andrea's youngest daughter from his fourth marriage. Maybe she doesn't even know that her father died. I hope that one day she'll believe that he did love her very much as he did all his children. Although I, too, had felt unloved often enough, I always tried to convince them that they were wrong. Socrates, 
Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and many other great minds weren't the best of husbands and fathers either. Were they incapable of love? I think that about sums it up. <laughs> I think that about sums it up. It's Christmas. Sometimes life is greasy, Bubbles. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. The Christmas obsession is disturbing. I don't like that. Something about that is like a, it's like a door in a house you don't want to go into. Mm. You know? <sighs> Park was a fucking bastard. Uh, you don't say. Yeah. Bad dude. I don't know. I don't know how much of like any plots he was involved in at the end of this. Like, I don't know how many of the conspiracy theories are true. I think there's right. a lot of human failing and a lot of just messy shit that can explain a lot of this better than overarching plots can. Of course, there's a lot of weird shit and stuff. A lot of stuff we didn't get a chance to like touch on connections, you know, that conspiracy theory shit, lists of names and places of employment and shit. There's a lot there. It's quite a lot. I mean, this man did eventually know, he knew a lot of fucking people. That's also odd, isn't it? He knew a ton of people in his life. He surely did. Real lot of people. Not a lot of them were at that fucking funeral. And there's a, there's a pattern of a lot of people, once they leave Buhar's orbit, don't give a fuck about him anymore. Yeah. Kind of seems like he burned some bridges. Well, doesn't seem like he really gave that much of a fuck about... People. Yeah. Individual people. Yeah. yeah. He's interested in consciousness and the evolution of the soul. Right. And I understand more why Uri's just like, you know, in the beginning of that book, he's like, you're always, I don't understand. You're always talking about all this shit. Like what, you know, so obsessed with like the idea of humanity that he just loses sight of fucking humanity. Mm. Then also, I mean, the fact that he compiled all that fucking research into a monstrous tome is worthwhile. Probably. There's probably real science in there. Probably real ass research in there. I'll give him that. Yeah. Won't give him much else, though. I think a lot of his theories are probably less crazy than he let them appear to be. Um, or made them appear to be. But, holy shit. An abusive son of a bitch. And not even the fun kind, really. And I think that's what hurts me about all this. This dude should not be the, the fun. most fun. Yeah. He should be the fucking most He's fun. He's really not fun at all. He's not fucking fun at all. There's no. nothing fun about this man. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But it's important. I don't know why. Well, because in a lot of ways, this motherfucker is the heart of the American high strangeness mystery. A lot of it comes right the fuck back to him. The nine, the raw. The aliens, the psychics, the SRI, the all this shit, right? Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about how he fucking hypnotized the woman who channeled the fucking um, the law of one. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's. I am raw. Yeah. 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 That was after he gave them some hypnosis sessions as well. Yeah. Responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Raw didn't like him. Yeah. He's mentioned in the Raw channel. Like, That's funny. Did not trust him. Kept shit from him. <laughs> they talk about it when he's not there. It's wild. Yeah. Eight of Wands. Man, it's a bunch of shit moving really fast. I mean, on a very, on a very literal level, he was a scientist who explored the fringes. Mm-hmm. Mercury and Sagittarius, right? Yeah. But that's a fucking job description. That's not heroic status. You know what I mean? That's just, that is what he did. Credit for doing a thing, I suppose. But that is, that's, that's what his soul ended up being. A lack of humanity. Yeah. A lack of, he bounced around a lot. You know, it's a positive ass looking card, but like, I don't know, in a very, it, I think it's just a very literal, oh, also eight hertz. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Eight hertz. Eight Ouch. fucking hertz. 
Yeah, no, I think about how, like, he died falling down the stairs that everyone was, like, worried about him falling down. Yeah. Even though, like, there was a whole ass apartment set up for him to go be in that he would be safe at. Yeah. It's like, you know, seemed like he was probably pretty stubborn. He was a difficult man. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, if you ever, there's, like, a bunch of things we talked about in here that if, like, you knew this motherfucker and you, like, caught wind of that. You're never talking to him again. It's also worth pointing out, though, too, that like a lot of people did visit Lab 9, like a ton of scientists, a ton of people in the human potential movement. Like when I say like everyone thought he lost his damn mind, it wasn't immediate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like Edgar Mitchell was going there, like all all the all these people. Right. James Hartack. um, We talked about him in in the the nine episode. So like there there were people there. So there's some stuff with like Belita Adair. Like I, I do wonder if it. It might have been nightmarish for her. I do wonder if she gets some of the specifics wrong. But even like I'm, I'm wondering if it would appear to be that bad to other people. I think it was that bad because that's the experience that was she had that was caused by his ass. Doesn't matter what tools and shit he used to do it, right? But yeah, also that was in private as well. Um, shit's fucked. He bounced around without a lot of care for his fellow humans while talking a big game about it. Pretty mercurium. Yeah. He's a very Mercurian character, and his field of research was a very Sagittarian discipline. So there you go, buddy. There you go. Yes. <laughs> and there you go. We we made it. It is done. We, we probably talked about Buhar more than any other character because we've had had to record those two episodes twice. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I'm so done with this. I cannot wait for Jane Led next week. Oh, no, it's Rapunzel next week. That is what comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, we're going to get a nice little palate cleanser mm-hmm. next week. Um, mm-hmm. Guys, if you want to support the show, help us not lose our minds. Become our patrons, maybe, so we can lose our minds further. <laughs> Add that further in there. And get access to bonus episodes and our Discord server. You can sign up for our Patreon. Yes, keep us ad-free, please. Please. I'll, I'll do it, I swear to God. I'll fucking do it. Become Chekhov's ad placements. <laughs> like the tooth. God. I was just thinking about getting advertisements beamed into your teeth. Yeah. I'll fucking do that too. I don't give a shit. I'll go full Puharic. Sign up to my Patreon. You can also leave us a rating and review. You can tell your friends. You can follow us on social media. You'll find us. Um, Yeah. Thanks. Sorry. (laughs) But it's important that we did this together. I'm so glad we did. Uh, All right. Take care, guys. Peace out. Be well. (laughs) 